Luke in chapter number 4, while you're turning there, is interesting the, the prayer Ethan had for me, and that, that thought I heard a lot of preachers, you know, or, and people pray, that very prayer is, Lord, give them the words to say. Well, there's this young preacher boy, he was given a message, finally the opportunity to get in front of everybody and, and, and preach. And so he got up and, and expecting that prayer to be answered, he didn't study. He just figured the Lord would give him the words as he started to get going, you know, and he realized it does help to study. So we're going to show some things that through the years I've had to study out with this text. This is an interesting one. Is those who are visiting, we just started looking at the life of Elijah. And this year, since about May, uh, we at the beginning of the year, we were looking at the home, and then we changed and made a transition. And this year is getting our minds focused. And if there is something that we as Christians need to do, it is to get our heads on straight. It seems there are so many things getting our minds going all over the place that we begin to scatter with our thoughts and what we are. And it's almost like we're losing hope and we're getting our minds away from the Lord, away from the Word. And, and so easy, like Peter, you start looking at the, the waves and the, and the winds and seeing what's happening in the sea while he was walking on it and he got his eyes off of Christ and it began to sink. Are we sinking? Are you sinking? And this, this series that we're going through from May on, and we'll, it'll be a little while until we're done with this, we're just looking at the mind. And I chose Elijah, and, and, and there's a reason we, we're going through his life, because there is one message I'll have down the road here that really zeroes in on what Elijah, and, and a, a premier turning point in his life, and it was all because God had to get inside of his mind and to get him refocused and to, as we're looking at now, encouragement, discouragement, encouragement, discouragement, dot, dot, dot. We just go back and forth. Uh, this week, if I were to talk to you Monday, it may have been because it's Monday, because it's really beginning of that work week. How you doing? <clears throat> And then Tuesday, it's like something good happened. It's like, doing good today. And then come Wednesday, oh, it's the middle of the week. I'm really tired, and this and this happened. I've got to have this meeting and talk to this person. It's negative. And by Friday, it's just like it's almost weekend. I'm doing all right now. And it's just ups and downs inside. Our circumstances are not that which changes much. But how we are looking at these circumstances has a lot to do with it. And that's what's going on in this man's life, Elijah. So he starts out kind of negative, goes to the king and says it's going to stop raining. And then he goes to the brook and he is there taken care of by God as God promised he would. The refreshment was coming and then the brook dries up. And so the word of God comes to him and says, I want you to leave now and there's a widow that I want you to go to see. Now remember, this is what God is telling him to do. He didn't come up with this himself. And I was thinking before I came up, I thought, wouldn't it be neat if God came to you and audibly said to you, this is what I would like for you to do. Wouldn't our job as Christians be a whole lot easier if we knew what the outcome was going to be? She's going to sustain you. She's going to feed you. Everything's going to be okay. Wouldn't it be wonderful if that's how God worked? But... We, as Christians, walk by faith and not by sight. We have to trust Him 
for what is going to be happening in our life. So he knows what's going to happen. This widow, um, interestingly, we're going to see a little bit more about her. I was reading one commentary and they said, I think this is uh, Jonah's mother. Okay, I don't like, where in the world did they come up with that one? It has nothing to do, matter of fact, we're going to see who this woman is through the words of Jesus Christ. So we're in Luke chapter 4, and we're going to read verse 24 first. And this is Jesus replying, said, Verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his what? Own country. So here he is, beginning of his ministry. This is when he was in the temple, stood up and read out of Isaiah. People were hearing this and it's like, wait a minute, this is Joseph's son. Wait a minute, who does he think he is? And they're marveling about what he's teaching and saying. And then he looks at them and says, listen, here I am in my own town. If there's one place that I'm not going to be welcomed, it's here. And you know why? They know him. They know his brothers and sisters. Yes, Jesus had those. Mom and dad knew him, carpenter. And they're looking and saying, who do you think you really are? And they would not receive, really, the word and believe on him. So Jesus says these words. And now what he's going to do is give them an illustration of what he is teaching. Verse 25. But I tell you of a truth. Many widows were in, now notice this next word, Israel. In the days of Elias, or that's the New Testament way of saying Elijah, when the heavens, the heaven was shut up for three years and six months, when great famine was throughout all the land. So he's looking at them and saying, listen, isn't it interesting that God told Elijah to go to this specific widow in a particular town, and this is who God was going to show and reveal to him as he began to talk with her, she is the one. But there was widows all over Israel. Why this one? There was a reason. But unto none of them, verse 26, was Elijah sent, save unto Sarepta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. You say, yeah, but you have to understand what he's saying. She wasn't a Jew. You would have thought Elijah would have been sent to a widow who was a Jew. But instead, God says, I want you to go to a Gentile widow, and she is going to be the one that's going to take care of you. He uses another illustration with another prophet, uh, Elisha, when he went to uh, Naaman and healed him of the leprosy. Weren't there lepers in Israel? The answer is, yep. Why would God have these two, the greatest prophets, go to a Gentile to minister to them? And there was a reason. There is a purpose. And God, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, is giving a prophecy to the Jews, you are rejecting my messengers. You have rejected my prophets. I'm sending them to you, my people, my own land, and you're rejecting them, but there's going to be some Gentiles out here that will be glad to welcome the message of the prophets, and now the message of the Messiah. He's going to be spreading out the message. By the way, you say, well, how did they react to that? Look at verse 28. 
And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath, rose up, thrust him out of the city, led him unto a brow, the hill where their city was built, and they, that they might cast him down headlong, they were ready to kill him. You say, what did, he, what did he say? What was so wrong? My own town, my own people, Israel, you're going to reject me. Just like they rejected Elijah, Elisha. They missed the prophets. They missed the word of God. So I'm going to lead them to another people. And the Jews who absolutely despise the Gentiles, this was a pierce to them. It's that thought of John 1. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, that's whether Jew or Gentile, anyone that believes on Jesus Christ will have the eternal life, and as it says, become the sons of God, as many even as believe in his name. That's the background here. So Jesus is setting light on even who this widow was and a little bit about her background. So now let's go back to our text. Back to 1 Kings 17. The storyline is really neat. Uh, matter of fact, if you were to take this and to try to do this in America today, I would guarantee you, you would be shot down immediately. Imagine with me for a moment. So here you are, downtown, let's go to an inner city, and you're seeing this poor lady with this little boy, and she's got five bucks in her wallet, and that's the last of her money, and she's preparing to go someplace to just get something to eat, something to drink, knowing there's no more money, there's nothing left at all, and after they eat, they're going to starve to death. They have no hope. Winter's coming. They're going to freeze. The hardships are coming. They're going to be getting sick. And it's a time period of absolute despair. Discouragement. What else am I going to do? But eat my last supper and I'm going to die. So you're walking by and you say, Hi there, young lady. Um, I'm really thirsty. Would you buy me something to drink? And then... As she starts to walk over towards the restaurant to buy something to drink, he says, Oh, by the way, give me, give me a sub, too, while you're at it. <laughs> now, may I ask you what we would hear that woman say? Are you out of your head? This is the end of my money. This is all that I have left. And I'm going to give what I have to you, a man, get a job, Provide for yourself, take care of yourself. Instead, she says, okay, because, he says, this is the word of God. What you have will sustain you for a long period of time. You want to talk about a faith? And she, by faith, steps out and hears these words. Now, she's like, listen, Elijah, you don't understand. This is all I have. I got a little bit that I can make some bread. I can get some, something to drink. And, and this is all we have. And he says, before you eat, make it for me first. Now, when we're looking at this, it's like, how selfish can you possibly be 
to take a widow and this little boy who could possibly outlive her, and now he becomes an orphan, and you're going to take it all for yourself, and maybe what's left over, the scraps, then you're going to allow them to eat. It sounds selfish, and yet he gives her the words that God's word is saying it's going to be okay. There's the encouragement. God's word gives that encouragement. Nothing is going to fail. Matter of fact, the thoughts of the word waste and fail in regards to what she had meant they're never going to run out. There's abundance. It's going to keep coming. It's going to keep coming. It's going to keep coming. It's not going to waste. It's not going to stop. It's not going to spoil. It's going to keep on coming. Fresh, brand new Every day. So she's going in and scooping out the last that she has and she pours it and starts to make it. You know, the next day when she came over to that very same container, she looks in and by faith reaches in and dips out enough for that day. Gets that oil. Just enough for that day. She goes through the day and it's supper time. Well, I better get some more and looks in. (laughs) There it is again. Can you imagine looking in and it's still there? And there's no little worms, no bugs crawling around. Everything is there. It's perfect. It's just like, this is awesome. And then day three, you know, she comes back. Oh, we can't wait to see this. Ah, There it is again. And free food. I love when the Bible talks about free food, you know. If we didn't have to buy our food, we'd all be rich. (laughs) So she gets this food. And day in, and day out, and day in, and day out. And Elijah's right there. He's still on the scene. And I'm sure with each meal she's coming over, may I serve you first, sir, prophet? And giving him, I mean, this is like, everything is just like he said. It's like perfect. Until she hears her boy (coughs) coughing, like a lot of us right now. And she's like, what's wrong? I don't know. I'm just tired and I don't feel good and can't breathe so good. I'm coughing. Well, you you better go lay down. A couple days later, she comes up to him and I can't get out of bed today. Well, here's some food. I'm not even hungry. And she can see her son going downhill quickly to the point where she comes up. And she begins to talk to him, and her son doesn't respond. One of the most unnatural things for parents is to see their children go downhill to the point of death. I got a funeral for the, uh, the Flicker family. Uh, Richard's uh, nephew uh, passed away, and the father is still surviving. appreciate you praying for that service I have on Tuesday. And, um, and with that, in all honesty, it is the hardest thing to do to try to look at parents and talk to them about the loss of their child. I, I cannot imagine. I mean, as we get older, we understand the spouse and who's going to outlive the other if the Lord tarries. You know, we understand we go through that because we're getting older. But a child, and this is a little child... And she looks at him and says, now I get it. I I get why you're here now. You're here to expose my sin. You're here to show it to me. It's like get in my face and show me how bad of a person I am. 
You kill my son. Look at, look at it in verses 17 and 18. It came to pass, after these things, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick, and his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee? In other words, why is this happening? What is going on, this interaction? And then she says, O thou man of God, as a question, art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance? Um, you remember the Lord talks about that sin that thus so easily beset us. It's as though there's one thing that you and I as Christians have is the weakness. It's like that one thing that if Satan can get you and tempt you on anything, it's that one. And it's not the same for all. What I am strong in one area, you may be weak in, in that area. Vice versa. And right away, her mind triggers that sin as this, this woman And she's now, my sin is causing my son to die. And you're the man of God. And I'm associating death with the word, the prophet, and my son, and my sin. And she just brought it all together. This is why you're here. All this free food and maintenance and all this encouragement was only to get at the core of who I am in this sin. Ouch. That hurts. It reminds me of John in chapter number 9. It's a story, one of my favorites in the whole gospel of John, about a man who was born blind. The uh, disciples come to the Lord and says, Who sinned? The parents or this man, this young man, that he was born blind. Now, now let's us think about that, how stupid that is. If he's born blind, how would the boy have been able to do anything wrong? But this is the mindset. We think bad things happen to bad people, right? And that's not in the Bible. Ask Job. And so then, there has to be because of sin. So maybe the parents were involved with all this, that the son was born blind. So he's got to go through a whole life of misery. Can't work, can't function, can't do anything because of his handicap. And so as a result of this, uh, basically, uh, somebody did wrong, and this is the outcome. And by the way, we as Christians, especially the older we get, we can be judgmental just like that. We can because, because we're, we're holy. You know, we're, we're great. You know, we're perfect the way we are. And we begin to look down our noses at everybody else and bad things are happening. Oh, he's got sin there. Oh, I see him do this. You know, he's, he's a train wreck here because of this and that going on. Oh, yes. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you shall also be judged. Boy, I don't want to go there. Do you? Do you want God now to come to you and say, okay, let's examine you based on the same parameters that you are judging everybody else. Uh, Let's go ahead and not go there, right? I would rather judge people with grace and mercy that I may receive it. Make sense? It's getting quiet here. It's true. 
It's amazing how we know the situations. We, my, matter of fact, my wife and I were, were talking about this. There was a person that came on the scene of a church that we were at. And it was amazing. In 30 minutes, they understood everything that was going on. They talked to one person. And because of that, they began to talk to us about all the things that we needed to straighten up in the church. It's amazing how they knew everything and then marched off after they were done. It's amazing how we think we know and we think we can know what's going on and why it's going on. Oh, be careful of that because God's going to say, let me show you what's going on. And He can do it. So God says, and trying to teach her something, and it's the same thing in John chapter 9, and it is this concept. Neither he or the parents are the reason that this man was born blind. But this is what he says, but that the works of God might be made manifest. I always thought it was talking about the glory of God. He says the works of God there in John 9. So God is about to do a work. And this work started with the messenger, the prophet, coming into town, ministering, and now something negative happens in this woman's life. Remember, Jesus says he, Elijah, was sent to this widow. And the only thing we're finding out is to take, to take care of her. Weren't there widows in Israel? Yep, but he went to this gal. And so, sure enough, there's a, there's a work that's about to take place here. And so, he, he dies. And she has this thought. It's because of sin. And now my son, the last part of verse 18, and you've come to slay my son. Let me just bring this minute point up, but, but it, isn't, it is something we have to address. The perception of those who are not familiar with the Word or realizing what happens within a true church body is most times looked at as a condemnation in other words, that, that organized religion is a place where we condemn everybody. It's a place of judgment and the, the negativity and bashing. By the way, does the Word bring in those concepts of judgment and righteousness and so forth? Absolutely. And I'm not saying that that is not part of it. But folks, our God looks for ways to show mercy and grace. His long-suffering is there way before the woodshed. You following me? And should the church be simulating what we see in our God? And this girl was thinking, religion, judgment, death. And it's almost like she is saying, I might as well just go ahead back to where I was before. My boy's dying. I might as well curl up and die also. You want to talk about a blast of discouragement. So what's God do? Verse 19. He, this is Elijah, said unto her, Give me thy son. And he took him, notice this, out of her bosom. She is holding on to this young boy. That's why we know he's not a man. You know, this is a kid. It's a kid. And she's holding on to him, just tight against her chest. And she's just cuddling him, and just, just I'm sure, holding his chest, tossing his chest, just to see if there's any breath in him at all. And there was nothing. 
she's holding him. He says, give the child to me. You want to talk about a trust factor again? Giving her child over to this man that she really doesn't know. And he took him up in the loft where he abode, his little chambers, bed was up there. Verse 20, and he cried, this is Elijah, cried unto the Lord and said. Now before we see this prayer, we're going to see this prayer, and we're going to see another prayer in chapter 18. And one of the things that you're going to notice is how brief the prayers are of Elijah. Sometimes we think the longevity of our prayers will influence our God a lot. It's like, I'm going to show and prove God how sincere I am with this. And so through my words, I'm going to finally convince God that I'm right and He's wrong. It doesn't take a lot to create a petition to our God. This is a simple couple of sentences as He's explaining. Like, Let me just say this. Um, we do, and, we're, and when we're praying, sometimes act like God has no idea what's going on down here. We start telling and rehearsing to Him all of our woes and problems like He doesn't know it. He does know it, but still, I think even as Elijah here saying, this is, Lord, this is what's going on. This is how I see it. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with saying, God, I don't understand this. Why? But it is not... Boy, am I mad at you, God. I don't understand why you moved me through this. Now, that's, that's as unbiblical and unspiritual and carnal as you get. It's a, he's the master. Remember, he's the boss. He's like God. And we're not. And he's created us. So we don't go, go to our God with arrogance, but we do go with boldness. A confidence. Knowing that our God is hearing, when our heart is right with him, we have a freedom to go to our God and explain our matters and what's going on. You've been there this week? You're wondering what in the world is going on in my life, Lord. All the people, all the parameters, everything that is going on. Negative, 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 negative. And we have all of these things and we're trying to find something that's positive that is going on. And we begin to say, God, I don't understand what's going on here. And we begin to talk to him about these things and these things. That's what God wants us to do. By the way, do you think what's going on here is encouraging to Elijah? This was just a small detail that God didn't bring up. He didn't know about this one. He just knew he's to see the widow and she's going to feed him. No problem, can handle that. You didn't talk about death here. You did not bring this one up, but he's in it. And the bad thing is, um, he's the one that's looked at as the bad guy here. You've come, my son is dead. If you wouldn't have come, we'd be dead together. We wouldn't have gone through these highs and lows. Life. Highs and lows. So he begins to pray in verse 20. He said to the Lord, O Lord my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourn by slaying her son? I want you to notice, Elijah, the greatest prophet of the Old Testament, asks God a question in prayer. It's okay to talk to God by way of question. 
sometimes I think that we would look at this as a question of God's authority or does God know what he's doing? And he's not coming with that kind of a spirit. He's just coming and saying, Lord, is this what's going on? I, I don't understand this. So this is what he does. That's his prayer. Verse 21, he stretched himself upon the child three times. Now again, he cries unto the Lord. Here's the next prayer. And said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. And guess what happens? The Lord heard the voice of Elijah. The soul of the child came into him again. And he came back to life. He is revived. I love to ask this question. Do you believe this actually happened? You know, we sometimes look at these incredible miracles of of the Bible, and the skeptics of anything that goes against nature, they would look at this as scientifically and say, well, the child didn't actually die, he was just kind of cold, and he needed somebody to warm him in order for him to have the circulation properly again. The kid was dead. Mama was holding him and couldn't revive him. If it was warmth that Elijah gave him, mama's would have been better. This young boy is lifeless. And to even more be able to say that, God even talks about the reviving, the resurrection, the bringing back to life, just like He did in the New Testament with funerals, with uh, uh, Lazarus, with Himself. The list goes on. We'll talk about that to close. And so he stretches himself upon the child three times. <clears throat> so the kid's on his bed, and he's dead. And he takes his body and forms it over top of this child. And he does this three times. And this child, it would be neat to be able to, I, I wish we have a video of all of these things in heaven. I do. I want to see his face. Did he start, did he, did he say, what did he say, you know? Did he, did he cough and it's just like, what, how did he know he was brought back to life? Did he go, <gasps> and his eyes open up real wide, you know, what was his reaction? And the first thing I say, what was it like? <laughs> what did you experience, you know? And none of that's recorded. But he came back. It's interesting that three times is mentioned when question about the authority of Jesus. He was questioned about his authority and what sign could he, Jesus, ever show to the Jews, the religious loss of, of him being the real Messiah. He said, here's the only sign you're going to get. As Jesus was in the belly of that great fish three days, I'm going to be in the earth for three days. And when I come back out, trust me, that's all the sign you're going to need, Israel. One resurrection. And in their mind, they're thinking, wait a minute, when the Messiah comes, he's going to reign, rule, we get the freedom, we get the, the, to uh, be the capital again, and everybody's going to bow down to us instead of us bowing down to them, and this doesn't line up with the way we see things in the Bible. But they forgot the Old Testament. They forgot the Scriptures. There was a parallel from that prophet to Jesus Christ. There was a connection between the words of Job, I know that my Redeemer liveth. Those thoughts of the Old Testament, David, thou wilt not leave his, uh, his soul in hell or Sheol. Thought of resurrection. 
And even though that wasn't the drive of the Old Testament, like we see it in the book of Acts, the resurrection of Christ, the death, yeah, but the resurrection, they missed that most important thing was that the resurrection gave proof, authenticity to who Jesus proclaimed to be. That's what finalized it. That's the power. The death has power through the blood and we sing that. But without a resurrection, the death is just another death. This resurrection was a proof of not only the sincerity of the prophet, that he would be willing to pray to God that he would resurrect this child, but it was a, to, the proof that this woman would realize God is real. That the messenger was right. That the Word of God is in Him. The prophet's body isn't what healed the boy. It was something that was pictured there. You see, Elijah was just the instrument of the miracle. He laid himself over this child as the one that was the instrument that would affect the one who was dead. Did God need the prophet to be on this child three times? The answer is, nope. It kind of helps us to realize that we're kind of like Elijah there. God can do it any way He desires, because He's God. But God chooses to use you and I as the vessel, the instrument, to be able to affect those that are dead, to bring them back to life. Do you do it? Do I do it? The answer is, nope. But God does it through us. The dead. He says in Ephesians, You who are dead in trespasses and sins, hath he quickened or made alive. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that has sent me hath everlasting life, shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in Him should not perish, that be the thought of death, eternal death, but instead have everlasting life. Do you want me to continue? We could. We see this concept. And so what God chooses is to give life to those who are dead. But the only way for that person who was dead to receive the life is to use you and I to be there as the instruments. To bring the Word, to be the prayer warrior, to do what we're supposed to do to bring that life. Without the prophet obeying the Word of the Lord, he would not have been there to perform this miracle. The very first verse that we read, the word of the Lord came unto him saying, Arise and go. Is that not the same thing that you and I as a church have been commissioned? Here comes the word of the Lord, Matthew 28, go 
into all the world, preach the gospel. We're to make disciples. We are to baptize. We're to bring them and mature them up. And sure enough, the message is the same. And as Elijah obeyed, and he did go, and it would have been hard. It's like, Lord, there's a lot of Jewish women over here that are widows, and they need to be taken care of also. God says, no, you go to this one. There's a reason. And it all reflected on Jesus. You see, how, how do you mean that? This story is to show to Israel, Israel, you're missing it. You've missed the prophets, and now you've missed the Messiah. And you've rejected the messengers because they're familiar. You see their wrinkled faces. You see the lifestyles. You see all that. It's a conviction. And you reject it because you have your own way. I want you to remember, he did go to Israel. He went to the king. And next time you're going to see how the prophets are all involved with this. And Jezebel. And it was all to show Israel. And so he took this woman and brought salvation. And he brought life from that which had died. Uh, sometimes I think about, and as a matter of fact, my wife and I were praying this morning for this service, and we're you know, praying that God will take texts like this and give us as Christians some life, encouragement. Because as this man went through the discouragement, the encouragement, and then the discouragement, and then the encouragement, all in this one text, we're going to have that. And in this life, to be truthful, seemingly, our life will end with discouragement, death. But can I remind us of the finale, which is heaven. If there is anything that is encouragement, it will be that. We can't lose. As Christians, you can put that on my grave. Maybe we'll put that one there. You can't lose as Christians. Be a Christian. You know, we win, win, win. You know, it seems like we're losing, but we win at the end. We read the back of the book. You know, we know what's in store for us. It's there. But you may be here, and you're you're hearing this. You're hearing the word, and I'm encouraging you. Don't be like the Israelites. They liked their gods. They liked Baal. They liked the gods that were like fun because it was about pleasures. It was about sin. It was about what they wanted to do in life. Where our God, the God of the Word, brings us to holiness. He gives us a, the thought of separation. And it's hard for us to weigh out. It's just like, well, this will mean life change. And we're worried about the life change. And trust me, when you get saved, God's going to change what you like. He begins to change and transform you inside. You will never regret becoming a Christian. And you've got to get the power of Christ through the Spirit of God that will come inside of you to enable you to have that life. You say, but I'm going to do it my own way. Israel tried the same thing and lost. 
Many, the most of the world, as Jesus said, are going to try to do it their own way. It's the broad way. It's the way that most are going, but there is a way that Christ says is the way. It's narrow. It's this way right here, and it's through faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone. And that is what gives us the eternal life. And without Christ, we have no life. Down the road, uh, once I'm done with this series sometime, we're going to get into some of the, the great I am's. We're going to see the Gospel of John and bring to life who Christ is. And we need to see these great, powerful doctrines. But it's choice time. It is a choice. And, and just even later on, he's got to go to the people and say, why halt you between two opinions? And the Word of God brings us to the place of choice. As Christians, even. We come to places of choices. And, and here again, for you, as I'm, I'm begging you to consider, look in your heart and uh, see Christ, what He's done for you. And if He says, by faith, you believe in Christ, what He has done for you and died on the cross for your sin, He will give you the eternal life that He promised. Call on Him, and He will save you. Period. It's a fact. Father, we thank You for Your Word, and we thank You for these type of stories that, that bring us to a place of, of the proof of the Word of God inside of us. And again, it is because of the powerful resurrection of our Savior. Lord, we have seen over and over again how Israel rejected You. Even though they were the chosen people, the nation, yet individually, even up to leadership many times, they would reject you. Lord, there may be somebody here today that has been considering, looking in their heart. They see, and they even have the Word uh, there and the, the Spirit of God working inside of them. And Lord, they're coming to that place. Lord, work in them. Draw them as only you can, Lord, to yourself. May they be drawn to your Word May they be drawn to Jesus Christ. Lord, may they gloriously be saved, calling on You, even at this very moment right now, that they would say, Lord, save me. I know I'm that sinner. I know You died, and I do believe You rose again for me. Save me. I want You to be my personal Savior. And help me to live for You. That victorious life. And Lord, we as Christians, as we evaluate our lives to see if we are obedient, we're being the vessel that will bring encouragement to others. That in the times of our own discouragement, our own times of encouragement, that it would not take us to a point of becoming dysfunctional, giving up. Seemingly just like the world with no hope. Help us, Lord, to learn from these lessons. Encourage us to continue on in the faith, believing. And even though our circumstances, Lord, many times are very negative, help us, Lord, to keep you as our focal point. Help us, Lord, to look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand together.
Fran, our organist, is going to play through a verse of invitation. If you are here and maybe you prayed with me and, and prayed that to God and you meant it and you invited Christ into your heart, uh, I'd love for you to come and, and let us know about that. Maybe as a Christian, you would like to come down and, and just pray. Um, and if I don't notice you coming down, you know, just please come to the center here so I can and notice and, and I'd be glad to pray with you. And whatever those needs are, we encourage you to come as she begins to play.